Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agitator. My name is J. David Osborne. That is Kilby Losak. We got our friend Ren on to talk about Knights of Sidonia by Satomu Nihei, uh, who has quickly become my favorite mangaka. And it's close. It's close because Hirioka Oku from Gantz is up there too. This was a 15 volume, 15 Tankoban volumes, uh, 78 chapter. Uh, deep space far future manga about a group of humans fighting a race of alien creatures called the Ghana, which are surprising no one who is familiar with Japanese art. Uh, giant mushroom dick creatures that with that tentacles, piece, with with tentacles, and the it follows a kind of Battlestar Galactica scenario where you have the Sidonia, a ship that is floating through space fighting off these aliens, looking for a new homeland. <clears throat> it gets uh, twisty and deeper from there. But uh, Ren, how are you mm-hmm. today? I'm doing good. So I think like one of the reasons I, went, I was like hoping that you guys would have me on for this was like Nihei is like my favorite manga artist, right? Like Blame was incredibly formative for me. Like in my early 20s, I remember reading the whole thing, listening to the Silent Hill 3 soundtrack the entire time. Hell yeah. And just being like, this is the greatest fucking piece of art I've ever experienced in my life. Like, because I loved like urban exploration. Like I used to go, like, you know, go through abandoned buildings and like storm drain tunnel systems and stuff like that. So like, I was like, this is like a whole manga about like what I imagined I was doing right like exploring these like post-apocalyptic nihilistic industrial hellscapes you know and like the thing i find interesting about sidonia is because like a common criticism of nihe right is that like he doesn't know how to write characters uh the dialogues kind of never really sounds very natural at all like none of the characters really have that much personality like in blame shibo is the only character with any real personality at all Mm-hmm. Sonican and, and Killy are both just like ciphers, you know. And Sidonia is like a complete 180 from like Blame, right? Like even the art is like totally different art style. Like it's a much simpler art style. It's not nearly as detailed. It seems like it like probably hammered out a little quicker. So it's got more of a, like a sketchy feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got more of like a light tone to it, right? Like it, you might, I don't know if you've seen the anime or not, but like compared to Blame, which is very like gray black metal like red blood and stuff like that like uh Sidonia is very like pastel colored you know it's like and even the story like is very traditional like kind of shonen anime stuff it's it's like a mecha show basically you know it's and it's so totally different from anything he's tried to do it's got characters that actually have personalities he's still not very good at (laughs) making them distinct enough for you to like remember everyone other names but like he's he's doing his best and it's cool to see an artist like transform like that you know over the years especially if you started reading blame at like the very beginning right you get to like sidonia and it's like you can see this this guy really like trying to do different stuff with his art yeah it was really cool seeing somebody that obsessed with like none of the conventional shit like you know he's into architecture he's into concepts he's into like Mm -hmm. hard sci-fi shit and mm-hmm. to see somebody like that go uh 
sort of traditional or his mm. version of traditional at least was yeah. really it was really interesting and the the hero uh god what's the fuck the main tenakazi uh, yeah, not not uh nagate nagate, yeah, nagate. yeah. he has mm. that like chosen one hero thing <laughs> but yeah. it's like it, it's it's sort of uh made more digestible through this uh sort of conspiracy thing where it's like mm -hmm. he's not just he's not chosen because oh there's something special about you it's like he's chosen because he was chosen <laughs> he was cloned yeah. on purpose for a specific yeah, reason he's like the clone of the greatest like mecha pilot of all time i loved how all these twists and turns come from like uh well the way that all manga seems to be written is like they're just mm. making shit up as they go because of the high pressure like <laughs> deadlines yeah. and all this shit like week to week they're just like and what next uh he there there was a, a hero from before you know hundreds of years ago mm -hmm. and he's the son clone he's the clone mm -hmm. but yeah finds out the hero finds out that he's been cloned and he's like no -uh, not my baby i'm taking this <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because like you can tell that he's laid some of the framework of what the story would be like at the beginning of it um, and it's so different from Blame in that regard because, like, Blame is, like, very much just fucking winging it. Like, the first, I don't know, like, 11 chapters of Blame, it's almost like an anthology series more than it's, like, a single coherent story, right? Um, and then later in Blame, once they get to, like, Toha Heavy Industries and you have that whole arc, like, there's finally sort of a story arc, right, that goes on. But Sidonia feels, like, tighter, like more tightly plotted like he actually sort of had an outline of where he wanted to go with it maybe he didn't know everything but like he sort of had an idea ahead of time of like where the story would be going and that's like real different for him too because like yeah even later stuff like uh like have you guys read biomega yet i'm on like volume fault. two of biomega oh okay. yeah i haven't gotten far into biomega it. definitely feels like it's like post blame. I'm just going to fucking do whatever. Like I like zombie movies. So I'm going to make this about a guy who rides a motorcycle and kills like zombies. And oh yeah, there's like a talking bear. It feels very much like him just trying to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And there's still like a lot of leftover baggage from like blame. Cause like mm -hmm. the main guy in, in biomega is literally just killy again. You know, like, he doesn't have any personality. He's just like an Android. Um, and that's, what's cool about Sidonia is that like Nagate is like not a killy, you know, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. he, there's like all this like i remember when i first started reading sidonia i like couldn't get into it because i was still in that like blame biomega bar like headspace where it was like i wanted the grim i wanted the cyberpunk and sidonia i'm like this is like a slice of like a high school thing yeah. you know it's like it, it's it feels it felt so weird and foreign to me but going back and reading it like i realized oh yeah i actually kind of dig this because it's like I mean, and you guys talked about this in the Blame episode, but, like, one of the defining characteristics of Blame for me is how fucking nihilistic the whole series is. Like, it is absolutely hopeless, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, even mm -hmm. if even if Kelly finds the net terminal genes, it fixes the fucking megastructure. Like, the, the damage is already done. 
Like <laughs> the entire yeah. fucking solar system is a giant Dyson sphere now. Like it's never coming back. Like it is never going to be able to save the world. The world's long dead. Um, but in Sidonia, like you have actual like stakes and like, like it, th there's like hope in it. You know, like there's a hope that there's like a possibility that, that they're going to be able to like find a place to colonize and that things are going to be okay. And in the end, it actually has like a pretty happy, you know, ending where it wraps itself up nicely. You know, I kind of dug that. Nobody dies. <laughs> everybody, everybody oh, makes it out. Yeah. Well, yeah. Most of them, at least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, no, none of the main characters die. I mean, the ones yeah. who you think yeah. might, like, the pervy peeper. I thought he was. I thought he was dead from the get go. <laughs> I thought he was just a good one to get to get rid of. There's this guy in, uh, which we can get to a bit later. Uh, Nihei's sort of male and female relations but there are a few things that i wanted to touch on first um because i i personally think nihei might be ace but uh and like trying trying to figure out how relations work but this is me coming off of reading gantz and oku and you know all oh of yeah the, Ga the, <laughs> yeah gantz the, is the, like super sexual and horny yeah, all the time yeah. yeah so this felt like kind of drained of it but um <laughs> but the to go back to there being a bit more of a coherent plot. That's absolutely true. However, something that I did notice, and this is something that is very intriguing and appealing to me about this kind of serialized storytelling over a long time. Uh, mm -hmm. One guy doing something for years and years and years and being able to develop it is that you'll see that he's throwing out seeds in the first six or seven volumes and mm -hmm. not all of those seeds take there are little subplots mm -hmm. for example when the captain has the uh uh ochiea ochiea clone the clone guy mm -hmm. the guy who got yeah, yeah. most fuck he's the most fuckable when they do that which i want to i want to <laughs> talk about the random episode where they have a popularity contest uh <laughs> but but so he, she has the clone guy kill the entire high council that decides mm -hmm. whether or not so that she can take full control. Mm -hmm. And it seems at times, whether it's Kubata or the captain, there are these potential big bad villains from within the ship itself. And they all, the captain in particular, her choices to continuously move the ship to save the ship, even though it's going to result in... Uh, anti-gravity destruction uh yeah it it feels like nihei just decided not to go with that as though he was reading back through his work and agreed with her he's like well she did what she had to do. she's just doing what she has to do yeah. right and and you kind of move forward yeah. in that yeah. particular th but you see what i mean it's this very interesting mm -hmm. way where when you're crafting a novel or a film Mm -hmm. You have to have a beginning, middle, and an end, usually in a three-act structure, unless mm -hmm. you're using Kiko Tenketsu, and then you can have a four-act structure. But mm -hmm. uh, with manga, serialized storytelling in general, I love this idea, for me personally, of starting a project, whether it is a novel or whatever, and having individual chapters mm -hmm. be set in stone, right? So mm -hmm. I'm going to write a novel this month uh just a completely random one and that's my writing process from now on is like what, what mm -hmm. happens in chapter one is set but it mm -hmm. 
it puts an imperative on you to spread seeds like that of where you could possibly go. And not mm-hmm. all of them are going to get picked up on. Yeah. I mean, you see, I feel like you see him do that a lot. His work. Um, he throws out a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily stick. And he seems to be the kind of artist that's like agile enough to like take stuff that doesn't stick, but still somehow make it all work and coherent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely coherent. It's definitely coherent. But like, no, it's definitely, it's more, the action is more coherent than, than in, you know, Blam or, or even, no, Biomega is pretty good. In fact, the first thing I noticed about Biomega is I was like, oh, you can tell what the fuck is happening with the action, (laughs) but I'm stupid. I'm stupid. So when I first started reading Blam and he was shooting and the, the, the graviton beam that he was emitting was throwing him back. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, who shot him? Why is he flying backwards? I just didn't, I just didn't, I just didn't understand that that was a thing. So uh, the act, it's very coherent, but uh, I just, I love the development. You mentioned the art style and I fucking love how in the first four volumes, you do have more of that earlier style. Things are a bit more clean, right? You get to about six and you start seeing those, wide shots of the perimeter wall and things like that. Mm-hmm. And you start to notice that the drawings are a bit more squiggly. Like he's doing them yeah. faster, you know, yeah. he's, he's yeah. getting more impressionistic because it goes until when you get to the last, you know, three or four books, mm-hmm. it's, it's very close to being a, an impressionistic art style, right? Like yeah. it, it's a lot of things are just represented by single little, little lines. And it reminds me of, yeah you know picasso doing his famous penguin thing the one line yeah where as as he went on it got simpler and simpler that's almost that seems to be nihei's progression too yeah and his uh his latest comic um i don't know how to pronounce it opossumiz or something mm-hmm. um it's it's very much like going further with that art style and like to the point where there's like a lot of like white space on the page yeah you know that's that's like totally different than what he was doing in his earlier years yeah and tonally with Sidonia, it kind of starts showing that there's some kind of hope there's a light at the end of the tunnel because the blacks just disappear like yeah all the the dark nihilism like it comes off the page because there's like hardly any blacks anymore it's just white and gray and then the squigglies and mm-hmm. the I like mm-hmm. how manga most manga seems to be you can't separate the manga from the mangaka. And I actually mm-hmm. dig that element of it. That's why I've mm-hmm. gotten so much more into manga than any other medium medium lately. It's like it's interesting to see the the progression of I guess it's kind of like what we do with celebrities, but like, instead of looking at their Mm -hmm. lives and like what they're up to and like, Oh, he's a cannibal who eats girl, his girlfriends or something. It's like (laughs) you, you get to see the progression through the art, but you can't set Mm -hmm. Like it's impossible to separate because they have their distinct art style. Does that make sense? It's like you're engaging, you're engaging with a developing voice rather Mm -hmm. than it's not the same as like transparently seeing their lives on the page or whatever. It's like, but you get to grow with them because it's such a distinct 
art style. Yeah. Um, I, have you guys read any JoJo's Bizarre Adventure yet? No, but we're gonna cover that because Mike did the film, so we're gonna we're gonna have to cover that at some point. Uh, right, he did. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's a good example of what you're talking about, Kobe. Because like uh, Hirohiki Araki, like his style um, in the first like couple art or the first couple like sort of sagas of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, he's very much going for like this. Uh, fuck, who's the fist of the North Star guy? Like. Bonson or something is his name. He's Bronson. Yeah. I think it's Bronson. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Uh, he's like going. <laughs> he's like going for a fist of the North Star like style. Like it's almost identical. You know, it's got like his own like kind of like flavor to it. Um, but then as he goes along, like his style, just every single like sort of big arc, this changes a little bit. And like his style now is like completely unrecognizable from like his beginning stuff. And it's fascinating to like watch that process. Like each time they like refine their art and you see like what they care about, like what, it, what like about this visual presentation is like important to them more than right. it was five, six, 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. You can see that with Gantz too, when about halfway through, once Oku clearly gets a team that can go out and you know go to osaka fly out to italy take pictures and actually use those reference photos the the environments get incredibly detailed when whereas when you're with the like the onion alien or the buddha alien arc it's just like here's a temple here's a store mm -hmm. and you're much more like the way mm -hmm. that Gantz is in the first four or five volumes at least is like a lot of it's just close-ups of characters, mm. right? And he literally yeah, yeah. puts puts them in an empty room with a black sphere. He's like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. And then as yeah. you go on, the creatures and the architecture gets gets more interesting. But I do mm -hmm. like that uh, Nihei, again, it's sort of an opposite thing where he started off, uh, again, mm -hmm. as an architecture student, uh, somebody who's very concerned with these mega structures to the point that... I love this mm -hmm. maximalism of taking it as far as you can go where, okay, I'm interested mm -hmm. in architecture and megastructures. So now uh, earth is a megastructure that's the size of Jupiter, right? Because it's just mm -hmm. been built out, 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 out. That kind of uh, like, how far can we take this idea? I think you see it in Sidonia too, mm -hmm. because the, when they, when Sidonia finally meets the, the greater cluster ship, it mm -hmm. tries to eat it. Right. Like the two mm -hmm. just actually collide. Yeah, yeah. And that's such an interesting mm -hmm. and bold idea. They don't shoot at each other. It's like, no, it's gonna try to eat mm -hmm. the like eat the entire world. <laughs> yeah. And that just reminds me of the like Nikkei yeah. dead or alive blowing up the earth at the end of the movie kind of thing. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it, yeah, and you even have that flashback of when the iguana attack earth and it's like they literally tore the earth in two like into two like pieces mm -hmm. um and like the scale like that's one thing about Sidonia I think is really interesting like the the design of all the ships like the design of the Sidonia itself everything's like super function nearly like as baroque because blame is all about like baroqueness and like chaos and structures that have like no purpose right like they're just spiraling out of control and just randomly being generated but everything in Sidonia is like 
functional and has like a purpose like even the ship itself is like obviously just carved out of an asteroid right they just took an asteroid they turned it into a spaceship and like um one thing that's hard to see i don't know if you guys watched the anime but like there's a there's a part in like the very first like chapter like the first encounter with iguana where they fire the heavy mass cannon that uh, like that is a uh, cannon on the Sidonia that just shoots out a big fucking chunk of rock mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know it's in space you know <laughs> it doesn't really matter like a big chunk of rock just as destructive if you shoot it fast enough it's like a nuclear missile mm-hmm. and um the big chunk like it flies past the the guardians as they're like trying to evade right and and you can really see it better in the anime, but like just how tiny they are compared to this bullet that was just shot, you know, like this, this bullet that was just shot was like the size of a city block or something, you know, and it's like the scale of it is like super impressive. And that's something that Nihei is like always been good at just like these just insane scales. Yeah. To the point where like when he finally breaks it down around what volume four or something, which is something I, mm-hmm. I love how, he'll explain how certain things work just mm. randomly. Like at some point, <laughs> just be like, oh, hey, by the way, here's how the suit processes piss and whatever. But like whenever it it like finally diagrams the, uh, the ship slash city thing and you get to see the under level mm-hmm. and you've already gotten the dialogue of like, this makes up like only a quarter of the living quarters on the ship mm-hmm. or whatever. And so you're looking at this going, holy shit like the residential yeah. area and then the like the uh where the meteor is itself they use as they continually use as like organic um as like a farm basically yeah to mm-hmm. continue getting raw materials from and mm-hmm. yeah no the the scale down to when they're talking about continuing the species like how mm-hmm. humanity is going to prevail or whatever. They're like, we have to spawn at least a hundred thousand people at once. And everybody's like, how the fuck are we gonna feed all these babies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they just make people photosynthesize. I mean yeah, like that's a solution for it. Yeah. There's like a there's a transhumanism in Cydonia that is like so different than the transhumanism in blame. Right, like in, in blame all the transhumanism is very much like the flesh is a relic like you know there's no point in having an organic body anymore everything's like everything can be cyberized or whatever but in Sidonia, it's like they go kind of the opposite direction where they focus like on uh on like technologies that like uh augment their flesh and blood right like so they they create people who can photosynthesize they create people who can like decide what gender they're going to be once they figure out who they want to be with for the rest of their life or who they want to mate with. Right. Um, and there's like a, I don't know. It's like, it's almost like a weird, uh, Sidonia isn't really like solar punk, but that's like kind of the, the, the feeling yeah. I get from it. It's like, yeah. like a, it's like a, it's a transhumanism that isn't like as scary and cold as, as Blaine says. Right. Right. Because I'm not, I'm not a transhuman absolutist. I'm just mm-hmm. against it in its form right now. Yeah, I'm I'm against the uh yeah. let's let's upload our consciousness to computers. I'm good on that, right? I'm an eternal being yeah. who will re- return back at some point if I so choose. You guys can get trapped inside the yeah. matrix all, all you want. 
But if I was in a body, probably my next one. I don't think we're making it this time. But <laughs> if I was in in my but my next body, and they said, "Hey, you can have really cool like wolf smelling powers, right? Mm-hmm. You can turn it on and off too. You don't always have to smell like like a wolf smells. <laughs> you don't always have to smell like a wolf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's your power." <laughs> You just smell like shit. Just, <laughs> just smell <laughs> like a wolf. <laughs> it's like, oh man, dude, he picked all the worst transhumanist powers. It's like he's got, he, he picked he's a he's a you know he picked this the seahorse power. power. So now he's just a dude who gives birth. You know, <laughs> like how how do seahorses do? Do seahorses carry like? How do seahorses do it? They, I know the babies are small, right? They just kind of piss the babies out or something like that. Yeah, it's like they're blowing loads, but the loads are babies. Are actual seahorses, yeah. 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 That's far out, man. Yeah. That's, I would I forget I would exactly how it know. works. I know the babies, uh, I know they get cannibalized a lot. Like the babies, like uh like even though the dad carries the babies to term, as soon as the little shits are out that he's trying to eat them and like yeah. kill them. Yeah. So they all have to like well, run away. Whom amongst us hasn't given our own shit a little taste? You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> but no the the, so i'm not against i'm not against it uh if i could get like sidonia powers i wouldn't want to be a bear although she didn't have a choice she had to be a bear for some reason kelby told me this off mic and i'm just gonna repeat what he said because it's funny where you know she's a bear and then they're kind of like oh yeah she's a human but she's in a bear suit and she can't get out of it or she'll die and Kelby was like, that's not really an explanation. That's just like kind of saying like, well, yeah, <laughs> okay. But uh, so I, I just think he wanted to have a, a bear character, right? <laughs> he, he loves bears. And hey, I'm, yeah, I'm I mean, that's, that's me. I love bears. It's my name. It's Osborne bear. God. I mean, I love, I love bears of all, of all kinds, <laughs> but, uh, but no, so I wouldn't pick that. I definitely wouldn't go the, Oh, Ochi, how do you say his name? Ochi, uh, Ochi, Ochi, yeah. I wouldn't go his way of you know we have to because he is he is like the the more nihilistic, like yeah. like blam sort of like hey we we don't have, yeah he's a blam character this, basically yeah we don't have to have this flesh prison anymore we can fucking we can move past it but it's looked at as obviously gross and weird um, yeah but I do I like uh, Izaka's power too like the power of perception, like being able to mm-hmm. sense stuff. Like I would do a whole, like not like Neuralink, but just, I don't know if there was something a little bit spookier uh, mm-hmm. about like enhancing telepathy powers. I would do yeah. that for sure. Uh, what would y'all do? Transhuman style. A, a super strong, super strong jumping powers and, and lifting powers for sure. Yeah. I mean like physical stuff, obviously, but like, I think it'd be cool just to be able to like see in different spectrums of light, like more than Ooh. what humans could like be able to see an in infrared or whatever. I like that. Have heat vision, that's, like predator vision. That'd be cool. That's a good one. X-ray, the classic. <laughs> the cla- <laughs> that was my dream superpower as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Wait, I want the ability to uh, reorganize my limb structure. Like if, mm-hmm. if I need four arms, all of a sudden I want to sprout, mm-hmm. sprout four arms so I can but like Goro. Yeah. Feed a baby and write at the same time. And then, yeah. Yeah. 
mental shit like that, being able to do two things at once. I know you're talking about the physical, but the mental also of just being able to, you know, I'm going to rock this baby and also focus on this baby. So you could be looking at your baby and making goo goo gaga noises and shit while your arms and your fucking mind are typing away on a masterpiece. What if you could have two conversations at the same time? Like not not a struggle, but like your mind actually develops two yeah two passageways <laughs> of which conver- of where conversation can go down, and you can be like paying attention to your kid or whatever. Yep, and also actually being able to talk to your wife. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say actually listening to your goddamn wife. Yeah. Like, oh man, that could backfire real quick. I wonder if there isn't like some way to do something like that now. Cause I think about like road, road hypnosis, you know, like you aren't consciously driving, but you still like can drive and you don't wreck and you end up at a place and you're like, snap out of it. And you're like, how the fuck did I end up here? Yeah. It's almost like you, you are able to do stuff like, like without necessarily paying attention to it. I, I uh, do my like other podcast too. Seems yeah, like my other podcast with, uh, with with Chris, the Lost Explorers one. He'll often give me uh, we'll have a conversation, and he'll uh, give me an imaginative challenge to think about mm-hmm. while we're talking. But what mm-hmm. he also does is he gives me five random words at the beginning mm-hmm. off mic of the to slip into the conversation at some point. Mm-hmm. So my brain has to be working on three different levels. I have to be focusing on what he says. And he brings mm-hmm. some crazy shit. He'll be like, hey, I got this Alexis de Tocqueville quote. You want to talk about it? I'm like, okay, cool. Also, while you're at it, I want you to be drawing a new version of a clock. And by the way, if you can find a way to fit the word caliphagus into this conversation, that works too. <laughs> but it, like, we've done 138 episodes and it sounds like it would be hard or impossible but you just kind of do it. It's really yeah. weird, man. It's really bizarre. So I kind of have, I'm kind of developing that power. And I want to get to the point when I'm in my 40s, 50s, whatever, where I can be completely two track, just, you know, daydreaming, mm-hmm. thinking about whatever, and not be disengaged, but be differently engaged with the person mm-hmm. I'm talking to. I'm just concentrating on shifting my my gender organs around mm-hmm. <laughs> hell yeah oh, I, I love that, that for you that went the opposite direction <laughs> yeah no i uh we had actually we should talk about that because it's been brought up um the fact that uh izaka shinose who again this is another one of those plot lines that i feel like he was going in one direction with it mm-hmm. because uh for a while he and then eventually she was uh tanizake's love interest and i thought Mm -hmm. he did a really good job of developing that slowly and having them you know kind of become buddies which is how i like romantic plots to develop i'm I'm not big Mm -hmm. on the hot and heavy you know like they see each other they gotta fuck and then they they just like are crazy but i more prefer like the the gradual development Mm -hmm. so i thought it was going in that direction to the point where she actually does change gender into female because she's all about tanizake and then Mm. just out of nowhere he's like no i love sugumi which for the listener who doesn't know yet (laughs) sugumi sugumi's a dick alien it's a (laughs) yeah 
she's like a like a ten story tall giantess with a yeah. with a dick probe that can shape shift that yeah. she hangs out people with. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, no, I'm in love with her. <laughs> I, I I really didn't get that. Like reading through it again, like I still don't get his relationship with with Samugi, and like I get that he like has a crush on Hoshijiro. They like don't they have the whole thing where like they have to share a cockpit, right? Because her machine gets fucked up or his machine gets fucked up. I can't remember right now. They go, they, but, like, they go underwater. They do have, they have a romantic where, like, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's something that brings them together, but even then it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat as you. It's like, it just, I feel like uh, Izana would have been the more, it, it makes more sense to me. But then at the very end, like, there's there's the other love interest too that like he doesn't care about at all. I think her name's like Yuhata, and she's mm-hmm. like always like trying to like talk. She's like a uh, a Nagate like fangirl basically. And then at the end of the story, she turns male, and then Izana and like her him now get together. There's a lot of like <laughs> weird gender stuff in this in this comic. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. tough to keep up with, but yeah. I mean, you yeah. mentioned the pissing too. I honestly think like. I know you talked, uh, you mentioned briefly, like, uh, Nihei's, like, possible asexuality. I don't think he's asexual. I think he's just, like, a big pervert. Like, I think he's really into piss. (laughs) That would be my theory. Because there's so much, like, weird piss stuff. And you guys haven't read Apostomus yet, but, like, in that, like, the main guy character, his companion is, like, this little fairy who like uh who pisses in his mouth to like heal him <laughs> she really like pees on him and it's and she like gets mad and she's like it's not pee it's like a nutrient solution or whatever but it looks like pee and everybody like treats it like it's pee everybody like makes fun of him for it and stuff but it's like i don't know you see the same thing cropping up over and over again and it's like he seems to be fascinated with like giantesses and pee like he's kind of like a deviant art kind of guy i think yeah yeah i could see that i could see that i could definitely see also something that's worth mentioning throughout the entirety of knights of sidonia is that uh tanaka a running gag which to me loses a lot of steam because it's very repetitive (laughs) is that he's always accidentally stumbling on people on girls naked and then they beat the shit mm-hmm. out of him right and yeah. that mo- that motif is repeated not just with him but with other male characters too like basically nihei's one comedic gag is a dude <laughs> who sees a naked chick and goes oh shit and then she notices him and then like the level that tanakaze gets his ass beat by women where like they're beating his face in and choking him out and there'll be pictures of him that look like a murder scene where he's laid out and there's blood splattered everywhere (laughs) there's something about that too so what we're saying is nihei is a pee-loving giantess fetishist who really wants to be stepped on that's that's the the three things he wants to be dominated i think the shoe fits that is yeah (laughs) yeah the dominatrix boot fits (laughs) that that is where like how with oku with gaunts there's a lot of love dedicated to titties with the giantess looks really cool so there was like a lot of focus Mm -hmm. on the sagumi giantess in her you know exoskeleton whatever form Mm -hmm. that you want to call it uh that thing looked badass 
I thought yeah, I, I thought the love story with them was sort of like a psychic thing, maybe, because it felt like his feelings towards Sugumi were actually towards <laughs> uh, Hosh Hoshiji Hiro, however the fuck you say her name, like yeah, if that makes sense, it Hoshijiro, felt like he. Yeah. It felt like there was like projection going on there, and then she—that—that's yeah. the form. Well, Samugi has like some of her memories, right? Like Samugi has like some of Hoshijiro's memories because she's like partially Hoshijiro, like she's like a Guana placenta imitation, right? Because like some of the Guana start to imitate the Guardian ships, right? And there's like this whole like there's like three or four of them that sort of attacking the Sidonia. And they're, they, they're such perfect replicas that they even have, like, a little pilot inside of it. And that's, like, the body that I think OGI, like, takes and then makes Samugi, like, out of that. But it includes some of Shijiro's, like, memories or something. So it's, like, she's kind of in there, too, but not really. It's never really, like, fully explained very well. It's an inter- It raises a lot of interesting questions, even to the point of, I think it might have even gone further with how OTI at the end says that like you know explain you you don't get it i'm actually the one most concerned about saving humanity or whatever uh, mm-hmm. it raises a lot more questions than it answers anything with regards to like what what is a human like it's a on a deeper level mm-hmm. like especially consuming all these 15 volumes of this shit, like in a very mm-hmm. short amount of time, it's like, this is the, what does it mean to be human question in a way that I've never really seen it presented because it's not just, it's concern isn't really so much on what does it mean to be human? It's what do we as human species do next, but not from like mm-hmm. a progressive like a progressivism standpoint, but from a, uh, a, a purely concerned survival standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Ochi's whole thing, right. Is that he thinks that humans have to like merge with the guana, right? Like, like he needs to make these like human guana hybrids, right. That have all the good characteristics of the guana. Like the fact that they're functionally immortal. Like they, the only way to even kill one is to use this alien artifact that there's like a limited number of, you know? Um, and that basically like the only way for humanity to continue to survive. And it's in a, in a galaxy that has these creatures in it is to sort of become like them. Right. Uh, and I think that's that makes Ochia interesting too, because like he's sort of portrayed as like a villain a little bit. Like you know, he he definitely in like the prologue kind of fucks everything up, right? Like ninety nine percent of the people on Sidonia like die because of his actions and stuff. Um, but he's also like you can kind of understand his motivation too, right? You know, he's like we can't just keep doing this. Like you know, like obviously like humans need to evolve, and we're like we need to evolve to be like a spacefaring organism like the guana um and but then you know like you said it brings up the question like well is it worth it like because then you don't there's not humans anymore you know like Mm -hmm. you're not really human anymore if you're if you're like that so uh is it even worth it in the end yeah i could see spirits in the other world when someone like ochi dies and let's say that he's successfully created this quasi-immortal race of people. 
Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, he dies because there's always a fatal flaw. In this case, mm-hmm. if you pierce his heart, uh, he'll die. If you get to the core, essentially, and you kill mm-hmm. the core. Mm-hmm. I can see him dying and getting there and the spirits being like, you fucked up our playground, right? That yeah. was the whole fucking point, dude. You're supposed to live and die. That's the only reason that humans even exist. You think that we couldn't yeah. have just made a fucking immortal thing that floats through space for eternity? Of course we could have, right? But you got yeah. lost yeah. in the sauce. You tripped too hard and you thought you were doing something good, but yeah, you know, and you did it multi-generationally too. Your consciousness got back uploaded again, mm from this liminal space that you were stuck in and you just picked up right where you left off you dumb fuck like what are you Mm -hmm. like what are you doing you're you're you're, like human beings and i think that this is valuable for people to hear in general like people are supposed to die that's the Mm -hmm. whole point right like the it's the limited space think about any project that you work on, you hear this all the time with writing, give yourself a deadline, give yourself, you know, a space of time that you have to finish this in and you'll create something out of necessity. And mm. that's our whole lives just in a span of about 80 years, if you're lucky, you know, mm. you take that away and you've taken away the entire point. And if your metaphysics yeah. are bad and you think that when you die, the lights go out, then you spend your whole life. <laughs> working towards something that's completely pointless and actively i think negative yeah yeah like i i the whole life extension like it, it's it's really sad like seeing these these guys who have like no conception of what a soul could be of like no real idea of like what they are um obsessed with living forever to the point that they're willing to like take blood out of young healthy people and inject it into themselves literally becoming fucking vampires in order to like eke out another fucking five years you know it's pathetic mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. awful yeah just for the sake of it's i've been thinking a lot lately on like the ai tip of like because it's become a, a common thing to say something i used to voice in sort of close circles where i wouldn't be judged too hard all the time of like how people just behave like fucking npcs and how i don't Mm -hmm. think that everybody even has a soul um Mm -hmm. i've been thinking ghost in the shell like philosophy of like you know the soul is a thing that's gonna look for a host somewhere Mm -hmm. like do you do you think like the spirit has a like the human playground the human experience is what uh that the lens god is looking through is specifically human or do you think that there might be different hosts like what if like could the guana be spiritual beings yeah I, that, I was actually going to bring that up because I wanted to get you guys thoughts on guana because they're never really explained at all, you know, beyond their like physical characteristics. They seem very like they don't have any organs, right? Like they're just placenta in the core and the placenta can take whatever form it needs to take to carry out whatever it needs to do at any given point. Right. But it doesn't have like it. it they seem to have like an intelligence, like in, in the way they move and stuff, but they don't have a biology that's anything like it 
anything we understand, right? They're more like a like a colony organism than they are like an individual. And they seem to like constantly like want to imitate people, right? Like they take these like human forms, like in the, in the first uh, encounter, you know, it eats that one girl and then like takes her form. And then later they go, they like replicate the guardians and even have like little human mimics like in the cockpits of these like fake ships. And it, and there's like some kind of like, like that, uh, like OGI makes a big deal about this is that killed the guana by piercing the core. They seem to be like drawn to it for some reason. And it's never really like understood and it never explains it at all. Like why, like, um, the one, I forget her name, but she's like one of the pilots of like the fake, like guana created guardian. Um, like when she's in the Sidonian because they capture her, like she's always looking directly at where they store the Kabi. Like she can tell like where they are. And I don't know, it's, it's very tantalizing. And I've thought a lot about the guana in that aspect. Like, uh, are they even alive or are they more, you know, like something that like unintelligibly unintelligibly like moves towards stimulus or something like it, it, they're very weird yeah because they seem to grow right they they're industrious they yeah. develop along the same lines as the humans do when the humans invent you know the series 19 or the series 20 the <laughs> you know they've been hard at work as well developing mm-hmm. you know new exoskeletons to repel the very things that were creating yeah. so they're doing something there's a kind of telos to what they're to their to their existence yeah. it seems which as far as we know is just killing human beings but also mimicking yeah. i know from a story perspective it's very effective from the sort of transhumanist live forever angle that we mm-hmm. see and obviously ochi is the he's the median between the two of mm-hmm. you know if you if you pursue this kind of you know endless life uh that's what you'll end up as and it's supposed to yeah. I think, be a little bit horrifying because like you said they are always trying to mimic and kind of return to what we get naturally from just being human yeah and when you see the end of sidonia and tanazake and sugumi in her new weird multi-eyed body uh mm-hmm. retire and have a child and have like start to live this idyllic life mm-hmm. uh I think that's very nicely sort of contrasted with some of the other characters, right? Like the immortal mm-hmm. crew, the captain, the bear, mm-hmm. uh, Saito for a while. Well, no, Saito denied the, the immortal crew, but the four people who chose yeah. to be immortal, it's never looked at as a good thing, what they did. Yeah. It's looked at, yeah, yeah. everybody regrets doing it, <laughs> who yeah. became immortal, except for Ochai, actually. He's the only one who was like, let's do yeah. this shit further. But I think that when you take those all together, yes, you do have a very clear message that's being sent that immortality is fucked up. And I think that the Ghana are meant to, in a sense, uh, to go back to Kelby's thought, they are mm-hmm. meant to be soulless and spirit like they are they're just you know like they don't even have the personality of a xenomorph right yeah it's just they're they're gross for somebody who's as good as nihei at creating aesthetically appealing monsters as we've seen Mm -hmm. in biomega and blam these aren't even interesting right the great siege is not interesting it's just a mass of flesh 
that's floating through space. And I think that's on purpose. I think that what, I think that what metaphorically, what you can take the whole work as is the sort of triumph of the human spirit to attempt to continue on in the face of clear and present death that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. that the enemy is, is a technically immortal uh, thing. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah, those yeah, yeah. things placed together. I, th- I think it's a very powerful message at the end of it because at the end you're yeah. like, do you want to be those things? Is yeah. that what you? Yeah, mean? yeah. <laughs> the, there is a recurring theme I think in Nihei's work of that. Like he he's good. he's a really good author in that respect because he never like fucking hits you over the head with it. You know, he doesn't really like preach at all. Um, yeah. But there's like some scenes in in blame that i'm thinking about like uh there's like one little chapter where killy comes across uh, like a woman who's just like hooked up to a big like cloning machine and she's just constantly Mm -hmm. pumping out babies right Mm -hmm. and it's like doesn't he like kill her it's like he like yeah he kills up or something because of like how yeah of how like pathetic it is and then like um you have characters like uh uh like davine who just want to see like it like he's probably she i I don't know what gender divine is supposed to be but like they're one of my favorite characters in blame because they they're like a silicon life you know they're like this kind of immortal cyborg basically but their entire like desire in in their life is to just like see the net sphere like one time you know, and it's not even like they want to like cause trouble or like fuck things up even more. Like a lot of the Silicon Life want to access the NetSphere so they can make sure that, uh, you know, it never gets fixed. But Devine just wants to see it, right? Because he's like fascinated with what it means to be human, like what it meant to be human thousands of years ago when people could actually connect to this thing. And it, I think that's something that you see happen over and over again in his work. But this one, I think, is is the one that maybe has the most clear thematic coherence like what you're going on about 